Welcome, SOS listeners. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, today's show is very interesting with Ed Lattimore. Ed actually grew up in the projects but became a heavyweight boxer. He tells us about his journey, how he overcame, uh, just really all the feedback there. But he actually wrote a new book called Not Caring What Other People Think is a superpower. So I've written about this many other times that, you know, we can't worry about what others think. So Ed will share with us in this interview all the different things that he went through to be able to be successful in life, what he had to overcome from being an alcoholic to being free of that, finishing his degree, going back to school when he's 30, when nobody else was doing it. And my encouragement is, is when we think about it, one of the things that came up in our interview is the importance of confidence. If you haven't ever completed our self-worth inventory or our confidence indicator, please consider that. The other one is really being clear about who you are. What are your core values? What's important to you? And making sure that those priorities are in your life. So if you've never completed our values preference indicator, it's our second most popular tool, very, very powerful or the self-worth inventory, my encouragement is that you would consider it or get it for people that uh, you care for and love as well. Enjoy today's show. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, each week we have guests, individuals who are overcomers, who have established a certain level of success in life. And today is no exception. In fact, this is the first, this is the first, welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, each week, we want to have guests that help you to succeed in life, and today is no exception. He's written a new book, Not Caring What Other People Think is a Superpower, and we'll get into that soon. He also is the very first heavyweight pro boxer that we've had on the show. Welcome, Ed Lattimore. Ed, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm pleased to be here. How are you today? I'm very good, thank you. And sir, heavyweight boxer. So I need to be kind to you because if <laughs> I'm not, uh, I, there could be consequences, right? Oh, no, man. We're all nice guys. Everybody who fights, we're all nice people outside the ring. And you, you know why? Because we get to be violent in the ring. So there's no reason, there's nothing to prove to humanity. You know, so, so many of us, I mean, like at least me personally, uh, we, we try and lean towards conflict resolution as opposed to aggression in almost every problem because it's just, you know, you, you really kind of get, like, I don't want to fight. I, I don't like, remember, like, no one enjoys the pain in a boxing match, and we certainly would not uh, want to continue that outside the ring. We just want to have a nice, fair enough. nice fair enough. life. <laughs> now, the information I have here, Ed, is that you're undefeated. Is that still the case? That is that is not the case. I actually lost uh, two years ago. Pretty uh, pretty embarrassing way too, but but these things happen, and you come back and you learn and you train and and I was getting ready for because because I I lost and then I had another fight after that at the end of 2016 where I fought to a draw, 
And then I took the year off to finish uh, working on my degree and making some advancements other places, including releasing my book. And I was getting ready for a fight, and I, I ended up suffering a severe fracture. Well, not, not that bad, but, I mean, it's still a fracture in the orbital bone. Uh, ended up suffering, and I had to pull out the fight. So now I'm just waiting for that to heal before I start looking at what my next options could possibly be. Well, being a heavyweight boxer and having a broken bone, probably not the best idea to go in the ring. Uh, no, and you know what's you know what's crazy? I always talk about this because you got to remember, man. There's there's not a lot of money in boxing at all. You really have to kind of be disturbed to do this sport. Everyone sees the Floyd Mayweather's and they think, oh, there's so much money in this sport. There's not a chance. Floyd probably has 99 percent of it. And that is not an exaggeration. And I bring that up to say I know a lot of fighters who fight without health insurance, believe it or not. And I'm so happy that I have health insurance because, you know, when these things happen, you know, if you get injured in a fight, the blanket insurance of a fight covers that. If I get injured sparring, you know, that that's just me being regular old stupid me from the perspective of, of the medical facility. So, I, you know, I'm really happy <laughs> that I could just walk in and get that fixed. Oh, fair enough. So, Ed, we, we always like to share with our audience, the SOS audience, uh, our guest journey. So, you know, you're, you're connecting in from Pittsburgh, but is that where you grew up? And, and just share a little bit around your background and your family growing up. Uh, so, so Pittsburgh, PA is definitely where I grew up, born and raised, spent most of my time here. And I grew up in, in parts of the city, the, the the public housing projects, and you know those are always horrible places, no matter which which city in America you go to. Mine was no different. It was a particularly rough and violent area, and and I, I really had to work to kind of stay away from that kind of thing. A lot of it, fortunately, comes down to my natural disposition and. But but other parts, you know, I'm very fortunate that, you know, my mom got a lot of things wrong, but one of the things she didn't get wrong is she really she really uh, emphasized the value of, of educating yourself and reading, and that, that naturally kept me as one of the more unpopular kids in my youth, which I'm very grateful for today because it, it kept me from being, you know, sucked into any type of gang violence or maybe getting a girl pregnant earlier because Lord knows I was repulsive to them too. Uh, and and all, the, all those things. And I eventually got out and went to college or tried to go to college, but I, but I failed out the first time because because I really got involved heavy in alcohol and, and that, that kind of that shaped my life for a little while. I, I got sober for, for maybe a year or two and then, you know, fell right back off the wagon. And, and my life kind of went in a bit of a, a downward spiral, but I picked up boxing and that, that helped and cleaned me up. And then eventually I got some other things correct and went back to school and finished and, and got my physics degree. And now I'm, I'm coming up on my fifth year of sobriety as well. So congratulations. These are, thank you. Uh, very, very, I mean, best decision I ever, ever made. I'm really happy. Uh, I did it because you don't realize how much you're missing out on due to your relationship with a thing until you are no longer in a relationship with that thing or a person. You you can't appreciate the freedom you have until you can look back and see how enslaved you were. You know, the power of contrast is is very mm -hmm. um 
it's very potent, and so I'm I'm really happy to, to where I am today. And I know I wouldn't be if I had if I had continued making some foolish decisions. <laughs> so, and what did you do to break free of that animal alcoholism? What was it? What could you share with the audience that were the overcoming sort of attributes for you to? Yes, you got into boxing. You still had to make a decision to leave that. So. What could the audience learn from your experience? Well, well, the the big thing for me, I mean, I'm really fortunate that I didn't have to hit rock bottom. I got very close, mind you, but I, I didn't have to. But I I looked at myself one day and I just I just kept it real and I said I am not the person that I am even close to capable of being. And and furthermore, I don't I don't really like me. I mean, let's. Let's forget about the artificial inflation of your ego that comes from being surrounded by people who are doing the same thing as you, so there's not really a frame of reference for how destructive you're being. I had to step back and, and join in the military really helped with this because for, for the first time in like seven years, maybe six, six or seven years, I spent, I mean, when you go through basic training, obviously there's no alcohol, and then you go right into... AIT, Advanced Individual Training, where you're not supposed to drink either. I managed to sneak one drink in, but it was near the end. Um, but, I, but I spent almost five months, like, dead smack in the middle, like, reflecting it, and then just completely away from alcohol. And I was able to look at myself, and I was able to go, wow, you are just not getting it done in life. And, and, I, wanted, and I wanted more. I mean, if you don't want more, it doesn't matter. I wanted to be more, and I wanted to be better. So it was a very—I don't want to say it was an easy decision in terms of, you know, the the difficulty. It, it wasn't easy to go. I'm going to put the bottle down. That wasn't the easy part. What was easy was going. The bottle's getting in my way, and the only way through it always—I have a saying, you know, whether something is is easy or difficult is irrelevant if it is vital to your success. And I realized that sobriety was vital to my success. At the very least, you know, it, it, that was definitely a keystone habit. And if I could knock that one out, who knows what other bad habits I had picked up. Uh, and, you know, hopefully they would fall like dominoes behind that one. So, so to, to answer the question, like, succinctly and usefully for, for the audience, the thing that allowed me to get rid of and step away from alcohol was simply realizing I wanted more out of my life and recognizing that this thing was keeping me from accomplishing that. Mm. Well, one of the statements we use in our programs, Ed, is if nothing changed in the next five years, would that be okay? So you said it wouldn't be okay if you were... Oh, still... absolutely not. I mean, <laughs> You know, it's funny you said I just happened to use, you know, when I would when I would explain to people, okay, I'm going back to school, you know, because I didn't I didn't go back to school until I was, I didn't make the decision until I was 27. I didn't roll into my first class until I think I was 28, right before my 29th birthday, and and I would explain to people, I would say, look, you know, five years is going to pass anyway. At the time I was, you know, 27. Am I going to be 32? you know, with more options or fewer options, and I know because of the way attrition works in life and against time, that I wouldn't just, I wouldn't coast into my 30s with the same amount. I would be, I would have less because I would be doing the same things that, that, a, that a wayward kid mm -hmm. at 27 would be doing. 
So, you know, I, I just always said, I said, you know, five years is going to pass anyway, no matter what. Hopefully I'll still be here. Am I going to be here with more or less? And so that that future projection, that, that seeing myself on what, what I could or could not be really helped. And it didn't really scare me. I didn't, I didn't want to be a loser. I think, I think at the end of the day, too, I was terrified of that, the judgment. That's how you can use peer pressure to your advantage. Right. Now... Interesting enough, your book is saying, I don't worry about what other people think. We'll come to that here in a second. Did you have anybody around you that encouraged you, that helped you to really overcome this uh, demon of alcohol? Um, no one in particular that was like, here's my sponsor from AA or something, but a very powerful influence was my girlfriend then, who, who's still my girlfriend now. She's been around now like, you know, five or six years. I never, I lose count all the time. Uh, but, but not too much, you know, five or six years. But the, but the point is, you know, re really, you know, when I was sitting down and at the beginning, when I was, when I sat down and I, I laid out, okay, here, here are the reasons why you should get sober. Uh, one of the reasons was I said, I met this wonderful girl and I know I, I will ruin this I didn't know like how how compatible we'd be in the long run. I didn't know that. I couldn't know that. But I did know that at that moment I thought there was tremendous potential with her. And I knew myself. I said, if I don't handle this, I'm going to do something or behave in such a way that I will ruin any any possibility mm -hmm. of discovering whether we have a future or not. So at the beginning, she was the inspiration, and then throughout, because of her personality and and just her believing in, in me being more and more and better, you know, that was someone I could always look to who did not see me as the person I was, but as the person that I could be. Mm. So she did help you. She did encourage oh, for, you. And oh, she for was sure. one of the reasons you took these steps. Oh, absolutely. You know, she never, she was never like, uh, you know, and, and furthermore, there's little things too you don't even think about until, until you get to a point where they, they don't matter. Like, like she she drinks wine. I never really noticed until like probably in the last six months or so that she never she never brought any alcohol into the house. I mean it just never never happened. And I don't I don't know if that was intentional. I'm gonna always go with the the interpretation that sheds the most positive light on a situation. So I, I like to think that that she was simply being aware. And even if she wasn't though. That means her lifestyle was compatible with the lifestyle I'm trying to build. You know, Chris Rock has this old joke where he says, you know, if you're going to be a crackhead, the woman's got to be a crackhead too or it's not going to work. That's the truth. And, you know, you apply it to other things. If, if I'm going to be sober and she's, she's going to be, let's go to the bar and hang out, you know, that would, that would never work. And I'd, I'd be forced to make, make a decision that either way I wouldn't be happy or I either leave this girl and I get rid of what I thought was going to be the motivation for me to, to clean things up or I stay with her and then, you know, we fall down together. <laughs> right. Well, that's interesting, Ed, as you talk about that, that she, uh, more than likely, you can check after this interview, more than likely she was being intentional not oh. <laughs> bringing anything around you, and no, no way, she's no dummy, uh, uh, to not really contribute to oh, yeah. that lifestyle there. So good for you as part of that. So where did the boxing come in? You said you started getting into boxing. How did that occur that you came into being a heavyweight boxer? 
Oh man, so so the origin story of boxing is is one of my favorites, and because uh, I didn't start, I started boxing at a at a relatively late age, at twenty twenty two, I think I was my first time into a gym, and my first fight was twenty three, and that that's ancient by by most by all measures of of not just boxing but sports in general. So. My story is as I was I was in a relationship for like four years and I used to rally on or I used to rant on in the relationship about how against higher education I was. And this this wouldn't have been a problem except the girl I was with her mother was a professor at a university, University of Pittsburgh. That was and really so, smart, Ed. <laughs> oh well, yeah. You know, I got I got thrown out of the house um, a few times, and when I when I was twenty or ish. And, but one day, right before I got thrown out, she said something that was that was really powerful to me. And she said, "Okay, so you're against college, whatever. That's cool. But what have you done for the past four years to demonstrate, you know, some type of application of yourself?" And that really, I mean, that bugged me because I had nothing to say or nothing to show. Mm. I mean, I, here I was, I was basically just a kid whining and with, with no solution. It's not like I was saying, oh, I'm going to go to, to trade school or something. I, I was just rallying against college. I mean, and, and it really snapped me out of it. But, but what, what stuck with me was that whole, what have you applied yourself to for four years to show that, you know, to, to show some equity, some sweat equity, right? So when we broke up a few a few months later, maybe we were in the midst of breaking up. It's really hard for me to to remember the exact details. Uh, now at this point, almost thirteen years later, uh, I do remember one of the things I did is I was like I was like, okay, what what can I do? What can I do? Where can I put some sweat equity? Oh, I've always wanted to fight. Let me go fight, right? So I, I looked up a boxing gym and found it and and went into it, and that's the story of how I ended up into a boxing gym. I, you know, if, if I had used the, the the three or four years I was, you know, with her daughter wisely, as opposed to, you know, just pretty much, I mean, this is no exaggeration. Every, my day consisted of, I had, I had a little part-time job at Starbucks. For it was No, it was full-time. It wasn't part-time. And, and then I would come home and play video games or watch anime. And I really was like that guy. Man, and, you were, Ed, you were deep. You were deep. Uh, <laughs> so deep. So, uh, you know, I, I wanted—I didn't want to be that guy anymore. I, I never wanted somebody that I respected to call me a loser a, or, or imply that I was. Fair enough. Way. Well, uh, thank you for, uh, you know, really taking the steps to kind of move forward. So uh, one question, where did your animosity to education come from? Where was that um, coming where, from? Where did that come from? I okay, so probably nowhere. No one's ever asked me this, by the way. So I get to think about it. I would say I'm glad no. to be. Thank you, uh, that <laughs> Dr. Keys. You're the first. Okay. So so so, Doc. I would say no one. Nowhere. I think I was just looking for a way to justify me not doing anything at the moment. Mm. is ridiculous, you know, and it, it doesn't even pay me to admit that because I look at the, that whole phase of my life as just one big, you know, cluster bomb. And one of the one of the problems there, I mean, for sure, is that I was, you know, in fact, I'll tell you a funny story. I'm pretty sure I was, I, I thought I could, like, 
figure out and beat the lottery at this point in my life, right? So, so I was like, oh, let me try this out, try this out. And to justify me, like, not doing anything but this, I think I decided to start rallying against higher education. Now, now that, that like, in terms of a personal vested interest, uh, now, I also was able to analyze, and I was just like, you know, I, I don't see how or why this is going to get me closer mm. to, like, uh, the life I want to live. Like, in other words, e even then I kind of intuitively uh, understood that unless I was willing to exchange a significant amount of time and and money, that, that a college degree wasn't going to get me closer to what I thought, you know, my life should be. Whether I had done anything or not at that point to deserve it was, was you know, was a different question. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but I did intuitively at that moment come to that realization. Now, now mm -hmm. granted... Later in my life, I was like, okay, I don't really have anything going on. Let's let's do this college thing and see what it's all cracked up to be. You know, put some skin in the game, test my assumptions. I, I didn't have the courage to do that at at that point in my life. And so I looked mm -hmm. to justify the failures that I had experienced. Well, there's a thing we call in psychology, Ed, where we redirect. And so we get angry and we attack certain things and that just redirects the energy from focusing on me. So it's possible that also, uh, did you have a lot of examples around you growing up of people who went to college who would give you and share an experience? I suspect based on what you've said that that was limited or not prevalent. So you didn't, um, have, you didn't have examples. I, I, you know, did I have examples? At at that moment, no. I, I would definitely say that at that moment, I I did not see anyone who 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 had a life that I thought I may have wanted that mm. was also part of college, and and that that further serves my you know insecurities. I can go, oh look at what they're doing. That's nothing like what I want to do. But let me tell you something. One of the things that made me go back. I mean is is one of my good friends. He went to school. He went to Case Western for biomedical engineering. And I watched how his mid-20s were going, and I was like, wow, that is called freedom. Now, it wasn't mm -hmm. the kind of freedom that I, that I consider, you know, my goal now, but he didn't have to worry about, you know, if he wanted to go out to eat or something. He didn't have to worry about, driving a car or, you know, I was catching a bus. He didn't have to worry about a, a quite a few things, and these were all regular worries, like rent, for example. I mean, just basic living situations kind of stuff. And I, and then finally, as, as I went through, I was like, huh, uh, maybe maybe someone had the right idea and I did not, <laughs> you know. So that, that, really, that really pushed me. And ultimately, I mean, I, I told him the other day, I said, and even aside from that, just just seeing him do things, and he always encouraged me. He always encouraged me to go back to school. I told him, I said, "You and your brother are, are two of the main, one of the the big reasons I went back too, because they would they would encourage me to do it. They mm -hmm. felt that I was intelligent enough. So I applied myself to to do good things. See, so you had another person that helped you. So that's awesome. We're discovering all these supporters of you. Oh, for sure. You know, I, 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 at the end of the day, man, I tell people all the time, I'm, I'm very grateful. Uh, no matter what 
what success that I appear to have externally that I have that I that I've quote unquote accomplished. At the end of the day, there there is a plethora of people support and and just in general a network behind me that believes in me and without them none of it will be possible well on that note ed and thank you for that you know you just an example and encouragement one of the things and the points you made there is that people are constantly observing so you were observing your friend he wasn't trying to impress you or anything he was just living he was uh-huh. just being and that example was one to say hmm there is a different way to do things. So at this point, Ed, I'd like to transition into, you've just released this book not that long ago. And so what was, you know, not caring what other people think is a superpower. Just share with us, where did that idea come from to write that book? And then, of course, it's the subtitle is around insights. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a heavyweight boxer. So, so, so tell us the story about so, the book and then your key elements in it. We'll get into it in a moment. So, so the idea for the book came from from a guy that follows me on on Twitter, and he said, "You know, your Twitter account is fantastic. Have you ever thought about putting together your your best tweets and selling them?" And I said, "I never thought about that. That's a great idea." So I went to do it, and I realized something that seems obvious as it comes out of my mouth, but I just didn't think about it at the time. Tweets are really short. Uh, they're in fact they were a lot shorter than they are now because now they've given you know, the 280 character limit, you know. But but the OGs of the Twitter game will remember that yeah. it, it 140. Yeah. So so I looked at this and I said, what am I going to do? I still like this idea. What can I do? So I went and I picked out what I thought were my were my best or most instructive tweets, and I crafted an essay explaining each one, and then gave an actionable step behind it. So I had all these essays and, and a lot of this good stuff, and I was like, okay, how can I organize this even further? How can I create a book? Well, I went and I picked out the categories that I thought, or the categories of the themes, you know, that I thought made the biggest difference to my mindset and changing it from when I was 27 to now, or then, I guess. I, how old? I was 30, 32 when that book came out yet, 32 when I released the book. It was two days after my birthday. So that's where that, that title, well, I'll get to the title in just a moment, but, but that's where the book came from is that it, because I always tweet out what I'm thinking and what I see in my interpretation of the world and how I can use that to help other people. I know a lot of it is me helping myself, and I think if you aim to to help someone, you'll help many people, and it just so happens that, that I'm my biggest you know, fan. I put together the the themes, you know, based on what would help and help helped improve my life because I thought that okay, you know, everyone says this, that or the other. What what did I do? What did I do to be different? And my story is very well documented. I mean you can Google cut pieces done on me by by the local paper, you know, where I grew up to where I am now. It's not you know, there's no fluff. You know, I'm very transparent. And so if someone wants to see, you know, how did he do it, they'll look and see, okay, these are the areas of my life that I really worked on and changed and got in order. And so if you do that, you can, you know, hopefully change whatever is in your life. As far as where, oh, one second, I have to cough. (coughs) As far as where the title came from, uh, I wanted people 
to, you know, one of the biggest themes or, or biggest problems I had and one of the things that contributed to me drinking and wasting time is that I really wanted to fit in. I wanted to be accepted. And and the truth is that I think I wanted to be respected, but it's a lot easier to be liked, if that makes sense. It's a lot easier to be the guy that people want to party around as opposed to the guy that people look up to. Either way, you get attention, and it's you know, but it's like a diamond to a cubic zirconia. You can't really tell the difference looking at it until you you know dig deeper, and it matters when the pressure's on. One of those substances is going to crack; the other is going to go. Hey, I'm a diamond. Guess what? Can't do anything to me. So I tried to take the short route. I I really cared about what people thought. I really wanted to fit in. I really wanted to be seen as a certain 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 type of way. And then when when I decided that you know, my success and my life and, and what I thought I could be was more important than what I appeared to be, that's when a lot of things changed in my life, and that's why I titled the book that way. So thank you, Ed, for that. So what would be some of the tidbits, the uh, words of wisdom? You now do professional development, and you help others with their self-confidence. You help others uh, to develop. So what are some of the things in the books that you can share with the listeners that they can take and implement even today? Oh, for sure. You know, the, the, the single biggest – okay, so specific to me, because I, I put a whole section in there about, you know, Tom Confidence and sobriety. Uh, specific to, to, my, to me, and this is not for everyone, you know, because – some people may want to stop drinking. Some people may not. I'm not. I'm not an anti-alcohol person. I never champion it, despite my situation. I simply say, well, what worked for me. So for, for the for the camp of people considering sobriety, and I know there are a lot because I get a lot of messages. I would say the the best thing you can do is value your time and what you think about yourself. And when you start to value your time and the relationships you build with people in a clear, sober frame of mind, you're going to be happier. You may be lonelier, but you'll be happier because the quality, the quantity of your relationships are going to decrease, but the quality is going to increase. And that is a central theme in the book, uh, just even without the drinking. There's a whole section about relationships, not just the romantic ones, but the ones you form with other people. And you have to remember that it is so important to focus on the quality of the relationship rather than the quantity. And young people coming up, I know myself included, we focus a lot on the quantity, especially extroverted people. Oh, goodness. And I'm, I'm about as extroverted as you can be without being psychotic about it. And I just, I wanted to be surrounded by people. I wanted to always be liked. I really didn't know how to cope with being lonely until, or, or being alone, I should say, until I, I ended up in Los Angeles for two years on a whim related to boxing. But but I, I went out there and I had no, my license was suspended, not for anything related to drinking, thank goodness, but my license was suspended. And if, you, if you've ever been to Los Angeles, you know that you cannot, uh, live out there without a car. I had nothing to do, so I had to learn to spend a lot of time alone, and it, it bugged me at first. I remember one mm. day comparing it, you know, to being in Iraq, and it was just ridiculous, right? But uh, I had to learn to do that there, and and so I know the power of 
of feeling like you can't be alone. And that's one thing I stress is is that if you build quality relationships, it it's not really going to feel that way. You, you'll spend less time around people, but but it's not going to feel like you are spending less time around people. If that makes sense. So that, that's one uh, that's one thing. Your relationships. The other well, thing, if, if I may add, what you're saying is is that being comfortable in your own skin and being comfortable with who you are in your own space, your own mind, and your own time, and not needing the input from everybody else constantly, it's quite okay. Hello? Yeah, I said that's okay. Oh. So okay. <laughs> I'm just paraphrasing you, Ed, is that, uh, that what you're saying, it's okay to be with yourself. It's okay oh, to kind of hang out with sure. yourself. for sure. You know, and 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 a big part of that is you got to build up self-respect, and I talk about that in the book too. Because, you know, one of the reasons I didn't like who I I didn't like being by myself is I I didn't like who I was, man. And and you know, it's one of those things that that in retrospect, it's very easy to say now. Like it's because I love who I am now. I mean, I think, I mean, I always thought I was the the coolest person, but now there's significance behind that. I mean, it's not just something I'm telling myself. It's something that I that I really believe and I know. But and more importantly, it's for the right reasons. Uh, you know, how I interact with people, how I help people, how I try and give a gift of 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 something to the world for myself and what I've experienced. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm cool for that, right? Before I thought I was cool because I could be the most, you know, the center of attention and, and tell great stories and, and drink anyone under the table and, and, and pick up pretty girls. I thought I was cool then. And, and you know, if, they, if that's your lifestyle, there's nothing wrong with that. What I'm saying is that for me, at some point I looked and I said, wow, this is not getting me to the person I, I want to be. The person I want to be is more is way closer. Uh, the, or rather, the person I am today is way closer to the person that I eventually wanted want to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Ed. So then, what are some other strategies around not worrying uh, or caring about what other people say? What do you What do you teach your students or your readers? You got to focus on the process more than the outcome. When you get a, when you get attached to the outcome, you'll do anything to achieve that outcome. And a lot of times that will not be what is best for you in the long or short term sometimes. It's just about this instant kind of gratification. Oh, how will people see me? Oh, how will people think of me? You know, and you're going to do things to match those expectations rather than what is best for you. You know, I always think about, I don't, I don't know if you remember the old game Dance Dance Revolution. I love that game so much, right? But to get good at DDR, man, you got to look bad in front of a lot of people, right? Mm. I mean, you got to have people laugh at you and you know, imagine this big black guy getting up to, to do Dance Dance Revolution. You got to deal with people taunting you. And then the song starts, and if you've been putting in the work, Oh man, you're gonna blow them away. They're gonna be like, "Wow!" I mean, I've literally had people go, "Wow!" I mean, <laughs> you know, and that's just a, a silly example, but but it's the first thing I always think about when you're concerned with the outcome, right? You're never even gonna take risks that are gonna make you better. They're gonna make you improve. I mean, I, I've had people tell me, and this is crazy, that the reason they didn't pursue a line of education or a course of study. Is because they didn't want to be perceived a certain way, and I'm like, that's insane. But then I think about it, that's no more insane than than showing up to a party and pouring everything on the table into one glass 
and chugging it in five minutes because you want to be seen as this cool life at a party kind of dude, right? It's no different to me. So you don't focus on the outcome. You focus on the process. If I, you know, if you, if you focus on doing the right things right or to the best of your ability, then there's a pretty high possibility, pretty high chance that you are going to have an excellent outcome. You know, or when we look at sports, if you focus on on practice and execution every day correctly, then there's a much greater chance that you'll win. If you just focus on winning, you may do something like using a legal performance enhancing drug. The outcome may be the same. The difference is one is is going to tarnish your reputation and get you in a lot more trouble mm-hmm. than another. One is outcome focused, one is process focused. Same with achieving in school. I can't, you know, the the number of students who cram last minute because they're concerned with the outcome, a grade, as opposed to actually learning and committing and following a strategy for absorbing the material and really understanding it to the best of their ability. That would, you know, that's a process I did. Mm -hmm. A lot of kids don't focus on the process. They just want the outcome. Well, you were you slightly older as a student. <laughs> slightly. <laughs> you you uh, you had a you had moved and had life, and you were noticing the maturity difference of ten years, weren't you? Oh, I, absolutely. You know, because you know, you know, going back to school uh, in my in my thirties, especially that means they're almost there. And I think in my last two years, there was not a single person. Uh, within 10 years of me, which makes perfect sense if I'm, you know, 32, 33. Uh, you know, they, they just have a different, they haven't lived. So so things that seem important are not, and things that don't seem important are. That, that's the, if I could sum up every, you know, 20, young 20-something, some teens that I had class with, that, that would be the best way to put it. They put importance on the wrong things and ignore the things that should be given great attention. But but that's just you know that's learning, that's life. They don't know. Yeah, they, they, thank, goodness, I, thank goodness maturity mostly happens for most people. You're an example of that. You Oh absolutely. You, uh, you know you've grown thank up you for that. <laughs> oh for sure man. I, I really you know I, I, I tell people all the time and they think I'm joking, but I am I'm simply not joking. You could not pay me again. You could not pay me to be 20 again. I mean, maybe if you gave me, like, all the knowledge and resources I have now. But, uh, but, but you know, life is life is good, man. But, but mm-hmm. I know there's no way to, like, really jam that in because I wouldn't have a, a frame of reference for it. It would just be knowledge. You know, it would, it would be like being risk-averse without ever having experienced risk. Then you, then you just have high anxiety and, and you freak people out. <laughs> Well, there you go, Ed. I get that. I get that. So, Ed, you know, we're getting closer to the end of the show. We just have a few minutes left. Uh, if people want to get a hold of you and find out about your work, uh, how can they do that? Well, I, I basically live on Twitter. <laughs> you know, uh, Ed Lattimore, E-D-L-A-T-I-M-O-R-E, right? That's my Twitter. That's also my website that I, that I you know, let let fall by the wayside for a little while while I was finishing up the the last and very intense portions of my degree, but I'll be publishing on there regularly. If you go to www.edlatimore.com, you can see my website, my writing. You can sign up for the newsletter. And and those are, you know, 
I, I just I mean you can find me on my Facebook page if you really want to, but I really live on Twitter and my website for sure. That's your space is Twitter. So oh, as yeah. we so as we wrap this up, Ed, what are some Twitter quotes or some other points of wisdom that you haven't shared yet from your oh. book or from your tweet <laughs> that, that would really kind of wrap up and be prevalent for our audience today? Oh man, something I haven't shared yet. You know, I I, I don't really know because I because I always come up with them on the fly. But one one thing that I have like etched on my heart, I have two ideas that that I'll give you guys that I really think everyone can benefit from. From one, you know, the difficulty of a task is irrelevant if it is essential to your success that's I think I'm almost certain that's how I phrased it when I tweeted him when I when I speak it to people and then it's true you know once you realize what needs to be done you should just get any thought in your mind uh, get, get any thought out of your mind about whether it's going to be hard or easy now it's just a thing you have to do and if you take that attitude towards your life it is really amazing what can happen mm -hmm. in, in a short amount of time so there's that one and and the last one, you know, I tell people, you know, no one's coming to save you. You know, you got to etch that on your heart and remember it. There there is no one coming to save you. And the older you get, the the more <laughs> relevant this becomes. And, and for the first time, at least in the last two years, for the first, I've I've really felt like an adult. Like like anything could go wrong. And I could take care of it and handle it, whether it be by resources I've accumulated materially or resources I have in my mind that I would have to activate and take from potential to, you know, kinetic energy. So those two things, you know, ignore the difficulty of things and remember that no one's coming to save you. So don't don't play the victim, right, Ed? Oh, like absolutely. take responsibility for your space, <laughs> live it out, do it. Well, Ed, we sure appreciate you hanging out with us uh, and enjoying your story and sharing your story. So thanks for taking the, your most uh, sort of prevalent piece, which is your time to hang out with us today. Hey, you know, thank you again for having me again, you know. Yeah, you are, you are welcome. Well, SOS listeners, you've been listening to Ed Lattimore and, you know, heavyweight boxer. His hand's going to be fixed and he'll decide if he is going to be boxing some more, but get his book, Not Caring What Other People Think is a Superpower. I agree with that. You know what? What is it that you need to consider? Some of the thoughts that Ed has shared with you where have you let what other people think and their opinions affect what your choices have been? Have you become self-sufficient? Meaning, have you taken responsibility for your space? Like we share at the end of every show, thank you for listening. Thank you for taking the time to be with us. If you like what we're doing, please share, pass it on, leave some positive comments on whatever platform that you are listening on. Thank you for listening to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.